And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. person would you just raise your hand right now all right all right all right i have another question if you're a lord of the rings person raise your hand yes i knew it i knew it I, terry loves it you had to love it that makes sense yeah for those who don't know this is terry's mom right here in the front so but i say hi terry's mom <laughs> hey we get to have a lot of fun and, and epic and i love when i get to come out here and preach because i get to bring that fun down here and if you think mark's cool double it and you got me that's just there He's not here, I get to say fun things. So he's watching though. He did tell me, he'd give me permission to quote a movie and I don't know if I'm gonna do it or not. We'll see how the sermon goes, but Jack, just know, I'm thinking about it. Hey, so if you've ever seen Star Wars, the first thing you see when you see Star Wars is the rolling credits, right? Like it just starts, it tells you what the episode's about to be about. Well, what better way to start a sermon on Star Wars than to start right there? Yes, I paid money for that. It was worth every dollar I spent out of my own personal checking account. My wife's going to be mad at me later, but I did, and I loved it. So, 
Yes, I was like, how do you start off a sermon about Star Wars? You have to start it off how they start off every movie. And if you're a movie nerd like me and you love Star Wars, it's not a shame to be called a nerd over Star Wars because it's that good. So if I offended you by calling you a nerd because you read that far, I'm sorry. But it's a compliment. Hey, connectors, I have a question for you. On the count of three, I need everybody to quote the most famous line from the Star Wars movie. Let's see what, let's see what, what, what everybody thinks it is. Ready? One, two, three. I heard it, but everybody said, Luke, I am your father. Now, if you're a real Star Wars person, raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you know that's incorrect. It is incorrect. Hey, I've got another clip for you, and listen, your mind's about to be blown if you're not a real Star Wars person, because it does not say, Luke, I am your father. You are beaten. It is useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. thought it was Luke, I am your father. Be real here. Yeah, lots of hands. It's not. It's I am your father. And I know this has nothing to do with this sermon, but I was like, listen, I got to correct all of you right now. If you're a Star Wars person, you got to know he says, I am your father, not Luke, I am your father. I didn't know until I was like 12. Anyway, so moving on. There's so many quotable things from this Star Wars universe. Um, and you know there's more than just the movies out there, guys. There's like TV shows now on Disney+. Plus, But even bigger than that, like since, like, the early 2000s, they've created, like, cartoons and stuff. I've seen them all. Unashamed to admit that. Don't care. Judge me. I love them. Animated or not, I'm all about it. I mean, it's, it's just, when Mark asked me to preach Star Wars, I was like, yes, sir, please. Let me get to talk about the two things I love the most. Jesus, my wife. Thought I was going to say Star Wars, didn't you? And Star Wars. See, I love I love Star Wars. I love my wife more than I love Star Wars, but I love God more than I love both of them. And so I get to combine two of my top three favorite things, top five, whatever you want to put it in there. I'm realizing I'm leaving people out of my top really quickly and I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> but anyways, Star Wars is a great trilogy. And if you've never seen it and you've got a, a spouse or a friend that's trying to get you to watch it, just watch it. It's so good. Um, there's so many life lessons you can pull from it. Interesting fact about Star Wars. If you take all the movies, everything that's ever sold, and you would adjust for inflation to nowadays, it is over $70 billion worth of stuff that's been sold over it. If you take Star Wars and adjust everything back from 1977, not 76, by the way, for some of you in this room, 
It's an inside joke. People know who I'm talking to, though. Somebody I heard actually went on Wikipedia and adjusted it just to try to prove a fight, but they were wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to out this person, Chad Scantlin. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Star Wars is a $70 billion industry. And you know the cool thing about that? Our God uses all things for his glory including things like Star Wars. Star Wars has, has, has raised so much money. They've grossed so much money for them. If you take the whole Marvel, Senate, whole Marvel universe, everything they've raised through the time that it was started to now, and add the Harry Potter series, Star Wars doubles them both. It has made more money than both of those combined. And if you don't know any of that, just know they're really, really big, and they've raised lots of money, out of my pocket especially. <laughs> um... I told my wife I could preach for months on Star Wars using different clips and using different life lessons, and my youth group is probably prepared for that. When Mark showed me this book, I was like, I get to talk about superheroes, things I love to watch on TV, and talk about Jesus? Say less. I'm in. Like, I'm all about it. But there is one more line in the movie, for me personally, that means more to me than anything, and really... It's what's going to get us started in our journey today as we dig through the word. And I want to show it to you. I wasn't going to show it, went back and forth, but since like, there's no little kids in here, I was like, ah, we'll show it, it'll be okay. So Darth Vader says the phrase, your lack of faith is disturbing. You guys know what I'm talking about? All right, watch with me. Fear of this battle station. And what of the rebellion? If the rebels have obtained a complete technical readout of this station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. The plans you refer to will soon be back in our hands. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Later, release him. As you wish. <laughs> so I wasn't going to show it because it's kind of violent, I know. But the reason why I wanted to show it is because when I was growing up, any time I would walk around somebody, especially my sister, and she would annoy me, I'd just be like, your lack of faith is disturbing. And I would try to throat, like force choke her, knowing it wasn't going to work, but I would do it anyways. And actually, one of my best friends that I met in later elementary school, middle school, we became best friends because of Star Wars. And it's because we were at school one day, and he said something that frustrated me, and I went, oh, like this, like he knew, and he knew, and he went, uh, uh, like he played along. It was great. It was. His name was Andy. Loved him. He's one of my, one of my best friends growing up. But my desire to have that power when I'm angry, to be able to just be like, no, give me what I want is proof that we're all born sinners. We're all born with 
an evil darkness inside of us. Now you might be asking yourselves how we got there. See, in Romans 5:12 it says, "Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and death spread through all men because all have sinned." See, when Adam sinned, he brought sin to all of us. When he messed up in the garden and he brought sin into our lives, he introduces it to us all. And I want to just hit on this for a second, and then we'll move on. But I want you to understand something. All sin is dangerous. Even the small stuff. You know, we, when, if I was to ask you what sins are dangerous, and especially my teenagers, I did this a while ago, murder, stealing. Some of them yelled premarital sex. Just different things. They yelled all these big things. But not one of them said lying. Not one of them said being deceiving. Not one of them sat there and said, well, hatred in my heart. We like to name the big sins, and we like to avoid those sins, but I'm going to ask you a question today. When's the last time you looked in your heart and said, God, examine my whole heart, even the small things I'm avoiding? Maybe some anger towards your boss because you don't like how he or she treats you. Maybe some frustration with your mother-in-law. Sorry, Wendy, but sometimes I get it, just like you get frustrated with me. But I have to repent for that stuff. Like in a real, it's a joke, it is. Like my family's laughing, it's fine. They're gonna still accept me when I'm done preaching today. But it's true, like it's those little things. We don't ever talk about those little things. We address the big sins. Like, you know, you should, I should be loyal to my, my spouse. I should be loyal to my wife. You know, I shouldn't steal money from the church. I shouldn't rob banks. You know, I shouldn't abuse my children. We talk about those sins and we like to do it. But far too often, we look at other people and we say, you're a sinner, and we shake our finger at them for the, the, the sins that they're doing openly, but then we ignore the little things. Like the anger sometimes I have with my wife when she frustrates me or when she has it back with me. And I apologize to her and I say, yeah, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And I go to God and I say, God, I'm sorry. But it wasn't until a couple months ago when we went through counseling together that I was like, God, I really need to let go of some of this anger because it's not just hurting me, it's hurting her, it's hurting my family, it's hurting those around me, it's hurting my ministry. And if you were to take the things that were happening in our marriage, like, you know, we just yell and scream and fight sometimes, most people would be like, well, everybody does that. But I realized through our counseling and as I was writing this sermon and stuff, and, like, and through my life, it's like, those little things are just as sinful as the big things. And they're hurting me, and they're haunting me, and they're haunting my friendships with people. They're haunting my ministries. They're haunting my different outlooks in life, and they're, and they're tearing me apart. See, all sin is dangerous, and there's a reason why God calls it sin. It's because it's anything that goes against his will, and his will is the only will that's right. We are selfish in design. Not when he designed us, but when sin entered us, because of birth, we are selfish. We want to make it all about us. Even, anything you've done before Jesus, and I know this is, I, don't, I know people don't like when people say this, but I believe it's true. Anything you do before Jesus, whether you think it was good or not, if you really examine why you were doing it, you might find that you were probably doing it because you were doing it for your glory. And even the things you do for your glory are not good. See, everything we're supposed to do is for God. 
some of you Star Wars people might have been like, well, I wonder who he's going to talk about in this series. You know, Mark, Mark had it, just had to talk about Batman. Yeah, he talked about Robin, he talked about the other stuff, but really he just focused on Batman. My wife had it really easy. She had to focus on Wonder Woman. I mean, like one person, he gave me a galaxy and said, here, preach on this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk about the force. That's easy. I'm going to compare the force to the Holy Spirit and how the force works with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be great. And I was like, so I went through my, my notes, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go through this, da, 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 this, all this stuff right here. And I was like, I wrote what I thought I was going to talk about, and then I read the book, and I was like, wow, man, how did I miss that? There is one person in the Star Wars series who, for a Christian to really examine your life, he is some, if you want to pick somebody in the Star Wars series to like put your life up against, up against this person, and be like, wow, am I doing things right? Like, am I examining all things? There's one person in this series. Anybody want to take a guess who it is? Who? Kenobi? Okay, Kenobi was a popular one. Who else? Yoda? Okay, Yoda's a popular one. Mace Windu? Okay, keep going. Give me some more. Han. Han, there it is. Han Solo is the best person to look at. If you're, not, if you're, if you're hanging out with, if you're talking with non-Christians trying to help understand them, if you're maybe weak in your faith, maybe you're shallow in your faith and you're just now coming to know Jesus, or maybe you're one of those Christians and you know, you declare you love Jesus, you declare you're following Jesus, but really when times get hard, you back out of your faith and you, and you get angry, you get frustrated, and you get mad at God. Han is someone perfect for you to look at, and here's why. First off, I got a picture of Han Solo. The real Han Solo, not this fake guy they put on TV lately, but just this Han Solo. Anybody know who he's played by? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford movies were the bomb in the 90s, just FYI. But Harrison Ford, and he's always got his blaster, he's always, always doing it. For those of you who don't know who Harrison, I mean, who Han Solo was, he was the cool guy. Too cool for school, was going to do whatever it took for him to succeed, was going to take whatever it took for him to get to the top. And that meant if he hurt people closest to him, he didn't care. We find out in the Solo movie where it gives a little more backstory of Han, that like, his girlfriend betrays him, and this is really what he, you know, originally he was doing for him and her, and he was all about his family and how they were going to be rich. And then all of a sudden at the end of the movie, he kind of gets betrayed by her a little bit. And then now he's just, it's all about him. Yeah, he's got a soft start for Chewie. Um, for those of you who don't know who Chewie is, I should have put a picture up there, but basically he's just this big, hairy bear thing. I don't know. He's, a, he's che Chewbacca. I mean, um, I don't know how to describe the people who know Harry Potter, but all, I mean Star Wars, but you need to know that he's just cool. But anyways, Han spends his whole life trying to better himself. He spends his whole life trying to give himself glory. How can I get rich? How can I get the next scheme? How can I find the next job? And Han Solo gets involved with this guy who's a bad guy named Java the Hutt. He's not a guy. He's more of a worm creature. And I got a video here for you in a second about him. But long story short, Han messed up. And Han owes Java a lot of money. Let's watch that clip real quick. Solo! Right here, Java. Solo! 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 Been waiting for you. Come, Latwipi! You didn't think I was gonna run, did you? Han, my boogie. Kili Kaliakuka. Want to double Look, Java, next time you want to talk to me, come see me yourself. Don't send one of these twerps. Han, 
It's okay, I can describe it, it's fine. The computer might be turned down, David. That might be like it's actually turned down itself. Um, but anyways, so Han owes a lot of money to Java. And because of that, Java's like, hey, you're done for. I mean, I'm, I'm taking you out. You got my money? No? Fine. Well, Han's a swindler. He's smart. He's quick on his feet. And he talks Java and say, hey, give me one more chance. I'm going to give you your money plus 15%. And if I give you, if I do this, he'll let you go. Well, Java's like, okay, fine. I'll let you do it. You got one last chance. But if you don't give me money, it's over for you. And we're going to get back to that in a second. But that debt that Java is chasing Han is no different than the sins that are chasing us. See, we all sin, we've all messed up, right? And until you're honest with yourself about the deep, dark things you're hiding in your heart and you truly give them to God, it's like having a bounty hunter on your back over and over and over again. But here's the thing. God loved us enough that he said, you can't afford your debt. You can't pay for your debt. So I'm going to pay for it for you. And a lot of us know that that was Jesus Christ. And he came and he was our savior and he loved us and he died on the cross for us and he paid our debt. But that's not what I'm focused on today. What I want you to take from this right here is what I want you to grasp here when I talk about the dangers of sin is even after we give our heart to Jesus, even after we make that commitment and begin to live for him, the little things we do behind closed doors, the things we say to our spouse when we're angry, the things we react to our kids, the way we think, music we listen to, the things we watch, those sinful things we indulge, those are all little traps by the enemy trying to get you back on the other side of the road. And they're dangerous. See, we love the idea of giving our heart to God, and we love the idea of saying, Jesus, here I am, take it. Thank you for dying on the cross. I'm going to get to go to heaven. But then we just, a lot of us just stop there. And for me, when I first gave my heart to Jesus and I wanted to go to ministry school, that was me. I was like, God, I just want to give my heart to you. I want to serve you. I want to do this and do this. And for the most part, if you were looked at my life and you examined it, especially from the outside, you would say, man, he's living the straight and narrow. He's doing the right. He's not doing anything wrong. He's doing this, that, and this. But for those who really knew me, and some who really knew me didn't even know, there was little things that I was doing in my life that every time I was so worried I was going to get caught, it was like a bounty hunter on my back. I was so afraid that the things that I was doing behind closed doors, somebody would come up and they'd start talking to me and they'd be frustrated about me. So I'm like, oh man, they know. Oh no, they're going to call me out on it. And they wouldn't say anything. But really what that was, it was the Holy Spirit convicting me because he knew how bad the sin was for me. You have to understand something. If I asked how many of you love Jesus, a lot of you would raise your hand, and if not most of you, I'm sure of it. And if I said how many of you are serving Jesus, a lot of you would raise your hand and say, I'm serving Jesus. But if I was to ask the question, 
How many of you are hiding something behind the door at home? How many of you guys got this secret thing you're dealing with and you're not talking about it with people and you're not dealing with it, you're not giving it to God? I bet very few hands would go up, but I bet a bunch of those hands that stayed down might be lying. Because even as a pastor, I mess up. I mess up more than I want to like. I want, I want to admit. A lot of times when I mess up, it's because I'm not thinking and I just act on impulse and don't think about the consequences. I'm young, forgive me, but I'm learning. But for a long time, something I struggled with when I went into Bible school is I struggled with an addiction. And I hid that addiction very well from people. In fact, no one at my school knew about the addiction, and no one in my family probably knew about it either. And I battled with it, and I battled with it, and I battled with it. And it was like I would get away from it for a season, and I would be okay, and then I'd mess up. And it would be like, oh, man, somebody's going to find out. Oh, man, they're going to throw me out of school. Oh, man, they're judging me. And I realized it wasn't until I finally gave that sin up to God, and I called it out what it was, and I recognized that this is not something I have to have. This is not something I need, regardless of what the world says or what it is. I gave it to God, and I went and found help with it. I admitted it to the people that loved me, that God finally took it from me. And that, that haunting fear of that, man, I'm gonna get kicked out of Bible college. Oh, man, I'm going to lose this friend, and I'm gonna lose this girlfriend, or I'm gonna lose this person, and these people aren't gonna hang out with me, finally went away. See, sin is dangerous because just like Han running from the bounty hunter, until you deal with it, even the small stuff, it's constantly haunting you. And there's a reason why God says we should avoid it. See, it says, to each person, see in James 1, 14 through 15, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after the desire has con conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when full-grown, gives birth to death. C.S. Lewis says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turns, without milestones, without signposts. Sin wants you to think you've gotten it beat. Sin wants you to think that because you've gotten rid of the big things, these little things are okay. The enemy wants you to think, hey, I've dealt with this. This is okay. I'll deal with this later. But that's that gentle slope C.S. Lewis is talking about. The enemy just slowly lures you back over to the other side, slowly pulls you away from Jesus, slowly pulls you away from the word, and then the next thing you know, you can't even see God no more. My son, AJ, we went to Sakur one time. If you've ever been to Sakur, it's a fun place, but they always put a thing of wasabi on your plate, right? Always. Um, I tricked my best friend not too long ago eating a whole thing of wasabi. It was a great prank, but giving wasabi to your four-year-old should never be done lightly. <laughs> so KJ kept wanting to grab it off my plate. He kept wanting to take it and eat it. And I was like, KJ, you don't want it. And so I took my fork, I dipped a little bit of it, and just, I mean, just a microphone. And I said, you really want it? He said, yeah. And so I put it in his mouth, and you would have thought I smacked him across the table. It lit him up. 
But it wasn't quick, because at first he was like, it was good, I want more. And then it was like, it's spicy. And he started chugging his water, and it didn't go away. I share that because I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. Sin in little, little increments hurts. But God loves you enough to let you get hurt a little bit to save you from a destiny of hell. See, God sometimes allows us to face punishment now because he knows if we face the punishment now, we won't face the eternal punishment later. See, sin is dangerous, and he tells you to avoid it, but yet time and time again we go back to it like a kid trying to figure out if a stove's hot, and we want to touch it, and we want to touch it, and we want to touch it. But God's saying, don't touch it, don't touch it, until eventually we touch it, and he's like, I told you not to touch it. Now you're going to feel the burn. See, sin is dangerous, and until you realize that, until you understand that sin is dangerous, and you remove it all from your life, and you begin to remove every little piece, even if you have to go through with tweezers, pulling out the little stuff, God is going to allow you to experience the pain and suffering of it because he loves you that much. Because he doesn't want you to spend eternity without him. God loves you enough to get burnt so that you don't get burnt everywhere. In Star Wars, Han Solo's life is a perfect example of the fact that time and time again, his sin catches up with him. His sin catches up with him. His sin catches up with him. Luckily for him, he had a Jedi on his side who was going to protect him from a Sith Lord. But here's the thing. We are so much more blessed because sin is so much more dangerous than a Sith Lord that God gave us Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When he gave us Jesus, he said, hey, Pluck the little things. Deal with it. See, the second thing we can pull away from the Star Wars verse is this, and I'm going to fly through these, is that God wants our faith. God doesn't want us to just believe because we see him. See, far too often when I was a young Christian, I would say, God, if you would just put a sign in the sky saying that you're real, God, I'll stop doing everything right now and I'll give my whole life to you. If you prove to me you're real without a doubt, I'll do it. And Han Solo was the same thing with the force. He thought the force was a, mer- a fairy tale. He thought the force was fake. He thought it was, there's no way this is real. And time and time again, he doubted it until he met Luke. But the moment he began to believe that it was real, the force began to demand things of him. He had to go in certain directions. He had to help them do this. And he had to eventually risk his freedom with Java at the end of the first movie by not taking the money because he knew the money was better in Leia's hand than giving it to some scoundrel like Java. And you find out later that that gives Java in a lot of trouble. I mean, Han in a lot of trouble. But just like, you won't fu- just like Han will not fully understand the force until he believes it, you will not fully understand Jesus Christ until you give faith to him first. You cannot be a believer in Jesus until you give your faith to him. For years, I told you I started, I wanted God just to put a sign in the, in, the, in the air and say, God, just prove to me you're real. God, just show me your existence. And time and time again, he didn't. Time and time again, he wouldn't just put that sign up there. He would test me, and he would allow things to test me, and he'd put people in my life trying to show me that he was real, but he would never just undoubtedly prove it, and here's why. See, it says in Luke 12, 48, it says, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be will be beaten with few blows. 
From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one, I'm sorry, from who has been entrusted much, much will be asked. God knows that once we know he is real, he's going to ask things of us. God knows that once we know he is real, the sin of, the guilt of sin will begin to weigh on you. And he says, you are better off not to know me than to know me than, and not serve me. For years when I first started following God and I started, I really started following him. When I went to Bible college, the, the little things I would do would just weigh on me and they would weigh on me and they would haunt me and they would haunt me and they would hurt me and they would hurt me. And time again, and it would hurt me in situations because I would think this person was mad at me. But really they weren't mad at me. It was just my sin on me, weighing on me. And God was trying to use the Holy Spirit to say, hey, avoid this. And see, God wants our faith. He wants us to believe because we simply believe in him. And once you believe in him and you say, God, okay, I'm giving you everything. The money, the car, the job, this, that, everything. Whatever you want to do with it, it's fine. Then he begins to show himself to you. Because he says, he says in Romans 121, for all those who knew God, they neither glorified him, they, so for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and foolish hearts were darkened. See, people knew God, but yet they turned against him. And the weight of knowing God, and yet not serving him, is so much more than you can ever imagine. It hurts you, it haunts you. Han found out the hard way of this. See, Han, when he started following the force and started working with Luke and Leah, but yet he still had his selfish desires, he still wanted to do things his way, he would doubt and he would question, and he didn't ever deal with the sins that were haunting him. They would eventually catch up with him. See, Han, in one of the movies, was frozen in carbonite, which was going to be his death forever, because Java caught him. Luckily enough, he had someone like Luke and Leah which represents our Jesus who came and saved him. But he still, his sins of his past were going to catch up with him. He still doubted the force. He still questioned things. Like we still sometimes question God. And God just wants our faith. And see, because God wants our faith before he reveals himself to him, that's a sign of true love. God wants our faith. And he doesn't just want a little bit of it, he wants all of it. Hod would end up losing his son, his wife, and his own life, serving what the force asked him to do. And see, our faith, when we give our full faith to God, God's saying, you're giving me your faith, not knowing what I might ask of you. But that's why he says, I want your faith before I reveal myself to you. I want to know that you're fully bought in before I give you your calling. I want to know that you're truly going to follow me because I might ask things of you that you may not like. See, there are Christians around the world right now who are doing things, who are living in dangerous places, risking their life daily, but their faith is so strong that they do it knowing, God, if they ask, if he, God, if it takes my life, I'm willing to give it to you. Some of us in this room aren't even willing to give God our time of day to read his word. But yet, 
Some of us in this room are willing to give God everything, and because we're willing to give God everything, he asks these things of us, and we do great things for him. For years in Bible college, I never understood why all these other people around me were getting asked to preach, and they were getting asked to do this, and getting asked to do this. And it wasn't that the people at the school didn't like me, it was because God wasn't calling them to do it, because God knew my faith was little. And when my faith grew and my faith strengthened, I started getting more opportunities, and more opportunities led to serving him. And for a season, I allowed those opportunities to get in my head, and I made it all about me, and God began to take those opportunities away again. But when the moment I realized that and I gave my life back to him and I gave my faith to him, he began to open up door after door after door, eventually leading me to my first ministry job, which was one of the best opportunities I had because they were looking for somebody who was experienced, and I had no experience. But God, God told Sam, hey, look, this is your guy. Take him. And he did. And it led me to here, and I'm so blessed for that. See, God wants you to avoid sin because it's dangerous. And before he really truly reveals himself to you, he wants, you to, he wants to know he has your faith. Because one day, he might ask something of you that if your faith is not strong enough, you may not do it. See, when I was in college, one more story, and then we're going to wrap up. When I was in college, God laid on my heart. This gentleman walked, and I was studying at Panera Bread with my girlfriend at the time. We were, we, were, we were writing, typing on our computer, studying. And if those of you didn't know, Panera Bread has Wi-Fi. And that's where a lot of people went to study. They gave you discounts on food if you were a student. It was cool. That's where we went. And we're in there studying, and this guy walks in beside me. And I've shared this story in youth group before. But he just walks down. Doesn't have any food, doesn't have any drinks. And he just gets a pen out, and he pulls a napkin out of thing and starts writing on this napkin. And in that moment, I looked over, and the guy was like, go talk to him. If all you say is that I love him, that's what I want. I knew in my heart, I knew in my spirit, God was calling me to do that. But I was so fearful. I didn't know this guy. What, what this guy, this guy's riding on a, on a napkin and Panera Bread, walked in the back part of the t- restaurant, back where all of his kids are studying. He just starts riding and he's like, looking up, starts riding, looking up, starts riding. This is a weird situation. And God's like, just go talk to him. I never went and talked to him. I don't know if this is true, and this might just be the spirit weighing on me, but a few weeks went by, and I saw in the obituary a picture that looked like this man. I didn't know his name, didn't know who he was. And for years, that haunted me. But for years, it drove me. Because whatever God tossed me to do, I was going to do it. I was never going to question God again. And still to this day, I don't know. So to this day, sometimes I'll go back and look at that ad when I'm doubting God, and I say, God, okay, listen, I trust you. I don't know if I'm called to do this or that, but God, you called me to do this, and I didn't do it, and I regret it my whole life, and I'm never going to do that again. When God called us to connect church, I was like, God, I'm giving up a full-time job, a paycheck. I'm going to go to a place where they're just going to give me a home, and really not even give me a home right away. They're going to ask me to lift my sister wall for a few months. I'm going to give up everything But God, I'm going to do it because the one time I didn't follow you, I regretted it my whole life, and so I'm going to follow you now. Why? Because God wants our faith. See, you you thought I was just going to be like, God wants your faith, end it. But let me tell you something. God's going to call you to do something in your walk you're not comfortable with. God's going to call you to talk to someone you're not comfortable with. But God's doing it because he wants to use you. I want to show one more scene from the movie. And I want to show you the reality of what might happen when you're following something that's greater than you. Let's watch it. Your son is gone. 
He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. That's what Snoke wants you to believe. But it's not true. My son is alive. No. The Supreme Leader is wise. Snoke is using you for your power. When he gets what he wants, he'll crush you. You know it's true. It's too late. No, it's not. Leave here with me. Come home. We miss you. I'm being torn apart. I want to be free of this pain. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Can you help me? Yes, anything. Son, he's gone. I know it's kind of a, a gruesome scene, but the reason why I wanted to show, and here's there's a there's a reason why. Sith lords don't just become Sith overnight. Time and time again, they succumb to sin, their selfish desires. Bad people don't become bad overnight. They succumb time and time again. They succumb through the evil desires. And when you don't, when you come, succumb to your evil desires, sin will destroy you like it did Kylo Ren. For those of you who don't know, the gentleman with the lightsaber, that was Hans Solo's son. And he ended up destroying his dad because of his sinful desires. There's some theology, there's some backstory, Star Wars nerd stuff going on there, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But all you need to know is Han knew in that moment he was supposed to be there to try to stop his son regardless of what his son's regardless of what his son was going to do.
There are Christians in the world right now who are serving in countries who are talking to people about Jesus, regardless of what those people might do with that. God wants our faith. And you need to understand something before you give God your faith fully. He might ask you to give up some of the best things you love in your life. Finally, if avoiding sin, if me talking about avoiding sin is not good enough to get you to avoid it, if me telling you God wants you to avoid it is not big enough, if me telling you that God wants your faith and you're afraid to give him his faith because you're like, that's a lot to ask, I want to talk about how great our God is. And I'm going to wrap up really quickly here. See, Psalms 19.1 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. He built it him all himself. It was his design and creation. Isaiah 40, 25, 26 says this. To whom all compare me, or whom all my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings all this, this star, starry host one by one and calls forth them each one by name? Because of his great power and his mighty strength, no, not one of them is missing. God's asking you to avoid sin because he loves you so much. God's asking you to avoid, to give him his faith because he loves you so much. And if you're afraid to avoid that sin because you're afraid of what it might cost you, and if you're afraid to give you your faith, look up to the stars. He created every single one, and that tells how big our God is. Our God is so big that he created the universe from scratch. Star Wars shows us just a glimpse of that. In fact, if you're a nerd like me and you look about how big the Star Wars galaxy really is, like if you've ever watched the movies, they travel so far, it only represents like under 10% of how big our galaxy really is. And if you need another example of how big our God really is, if you take every grain of salt, I mean grain of sand on our earth, on every beach across the world, and you were to count them up individually, every beach in the world, and count them up individually, times it by 100,000, scientists say, that's how many stars there are in our galaxy. If our God created all of that, and he's asking you to stay away from sin, he probably knows what he's talking about. If our God is saying, God, give me your faith no matter what I ask of you. Serve me no matter what I'm asking of you. He's probably, he is that big that he's worth trusting. See, I leave us with this. If our God is that big, that when he says avoid sin, avoid it. If he says have faith, even when the world's falling apart around you, have faith. Because even when the enemy attacks me and tries to get me to doubt, I will look up to the stars and just remember how great my God is. See, he might ask you to give up certain things in your life that might be confusing, but it's because he knows better. He might ask you to say, hey, I'm calling you to a foreign country to go tell people about me, but he knows that much better. And finally, the next time the enemy attacks you, the next time he attacks your marriage and you're ready to give up, the next time he attacks your friendships and you're ready to quit, the next time he comes at you at your job and your boss is just berating you and berating you, but you know he's called you there, look up to the stars and just remember how great and big our God is. Church, will you pray with me?
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time to be here. And we thank you, Father, that you allowed us, you allowed us to come together and you use things that we love as men to show us how great you really are. Father, I know though there, there are those in this room today, Father, who are struggling with things they're afraid to talk about. I know that there are those in this room, Father, that have faith, but Father, when it really comes down to it, they question you. I ask right now, Father, that you would go before those who are struggling with those dark sins, Father, and help them remove them and remind them that, that you are that big. Father, I ask right now that those who maybe doubt their faith from time to time, Father, that you would remind them how great and big you are and that when you call them to the, the scary, ugly things in the world, to, to speak up for what is right, to do the things you call them to do, Father, they remember just how great and amazing you are. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. Father, you bless us. Hey, guys, we're so glad you guys came tonight, came today. Hey, tonight for Epic, we're going to be out of my house at a bonfire. However, if the weather is going to be against this, we'll be here at the church. I'll send a message out letting you know about, about 4 o'clock so you make your final plan. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. We are a church, connected church, by His own blood. Connecting people together in perfect harmony, connecting people to God, for His love sets free. Yeah.